Welcome back to another episode of Revealed Apologetics. I'm your host, Eli Ayala, and today I am excited to have Brian Knapp on. Um, and Brian Knapp was a co-founder of Choosing Hats. So if anyone is familiar with uh, presuppositional apologetics, back in the day, there was this super cool website, and actually it's still around, um, where they had some really good uh, presuppositional material uh, that went a little beyond kind of the... Um, popular level, very surfacey uh, way of using precep. There was some depth there that I really appreciated and some really good writing, especially from Chris Bolt, who I had on, um, I think twice in, in a couple of past episodes. And so I'm excited to have Brian Knapp here, who is a co-founder of Choosing Hats. And he's a pretty bright guy, an awesome guy, and, and he's a, become a recent friend of mine. And hopefully we can have a great conversation in today's episode. But before we do that, I just want to make a couple of announcements by way of future uh, guests. Um, on the 26th, I do apologize if that's the wrong date, don't have it in front of me, but I think it's 26th. I'll be having Michael Preciado, who is the author of the book, A Reformed View of Free Will. He's a Calvinist philosopher, um, a very sharp guy. We're going to have him on to talk about free will. I know a lot of people are interested in those sorts of discussions. And I also am going to um, have on a woman who caught my attention by an article she wrote. Her name is Scarlett Clay. And um, she wrote an article talking about her experience at Biola University, um, taking an apologetics course there, and how, um, how apologetics was taught at Biola University. She wrote an article as to how that kind of led her to presuppositional apologetics. Now, if you know anything about Biola, Biola is um, really the... Um, the, the, the center of gravity for Biola is apologetics from a um, classical approach, an evidential approach. And so it's kind of a, a strange thing to to hear someone say they went to Biola, took an, uh, an apologetics course there and was drawn to presuppositional apologetics. So um, when I read that article, I was like, huh, you know, that would be an awesome thing to get this, this woman on and uh, share her story, because I think um, it's very interesting because her story centers on... Um, the God-centeredness of presuppositionalism, which she found when she learned about it, she kind of uh, was drawn to that idea. And what appeared to be kind of a drawing away of a God-centered approach to apologetics in the classical um, um, approach. Now, granted, you know, that it also depends on the person too, how they present their apologetic, uh, you know, or, or what have you. But um, I thought her story was really interesting. So we'll be having her on uh, in May. Um, and of course, everyone knows I like to play fair. Okay. I'm a hardcore presuppositionalist, but I do like to get our evidentialist and classical classical brothers on. So on May 3rd, I'll be having Dr. Michael Lycona on to talk about evidence for the resurrection, which by the way, is important for presuppositionalists to know. You know, you don't get away with simply saying by what standard. That is a perfectly valid uh, thing to say, a thing to ask. Um, but you do need to know the ins and the outs of the Christian faith too. And I think knowing the evidence for the resurrection is very important. So hopefully Dr. Michael Lycona will be um, very helpful in that regard as he is um, highly studied in that specific area. Okay. And again, for those hardcore purist presuppositionalists, yes, you don't have to private message me about the areas in which, you know, you disagree with Dr. Lycona. Yes, we don't agree on everything. We don't agree on epistemological issues. We don't even agree as to how you interpret uh, evidence and things like that. But that being said, I do think he has a lot of helpful things to say. 
And so I'm having him on for, uh, well, so that I could learn and also for your benefit. If you're wondering uh, how to um, gather the facts and make an argument for the resurrection, perhaps we can take what uh, an evidentialist or a classicalist, uh, well, I would say Michael Icona is an evidentialist, but don't quote me. Um, how can we take the hard work of our evidentialist brothers whom we disagree with in their apologetic methodology, how do we take that important information and contextualize it within a consistent presuppositional framework? I think that's fair game if we want to be consistently presuppositional and um, deal with evidences. So it's not an either or uh, situation. So looking forward to having Dr. Michael Lycona on. And so I'll, I'll let you guys know when I have some uh, other guests. I kind of wing it. You know, I'll be flipping through Facebook and like, hey, you know, I might want to have that person on. So um, I'll, I'll keep you guys uh, updated. But all that aside, just one more thing, and then we'll invite uh, Brian on. Um, if you guys are interested in learning presuppositional apologetics, I teach an online course uh, called Presup U. You can sign up for that course on revealedapologetics.com. Um, and I've been getting a lot of messages from people about the date. So like when you click on uh, to sign up for the course, it looks like the course is taking place within uh, a certain uh, time span, like a date from this date to that date. Completely ignore that. If you want to sign up, sign up. And it is a work at your own pace. Um, and so you could sign up right now and I'll send you all of the, the lectures, the PowerPoint slides, all the, the outlines and notes. Um, and you can do that. And we've already done that with... Um, a group a couple of months ago and they they really enjoyed it especially when we had kind of that face-to-face -face interaction when i did the um uh when i did that sort of class and right now if you sign up you just get the class but i'm going to be letting folks know when uh, the premium package will be available and that includes kind of a face-to-face -face with me and the other students in which we can kind of go a little deeper into the content so uh definitely if you're interested in that revealedapologetics.com all right all that out of the way all right, good. That, that's kind of filler because I want to wait some people coming in and, and listening. So now we have some listeners. So with that said, let me uh, introduce Brian Knapp. How's it going, Brian? It's going good, Eli. Very good. I just want to give you a heads up. I say this to everyone. I'm looking at you, but it doesn't look like I'm looking at you. Okay, so I have my camera in front of me here and then I have my laptop. So when I'm looking at my laptop, I'm looking right at you. So I don't want you to think I'm playing Candy Crush while you're going, you know, uh, when you're going into your responses to my questions. All right. So as we start, why don't you tell people a little bit about you that goes beyond what I've already shared? Sure. Um, well, I'm a, I'm a software engineer by trade um, and a contractor and I've been doing that ever since I got out of high school, basically. Um, but it wasn't until maybe about 20 or so years ago, and I'm already dating myself, but um, 20 or so years ago that I got into Presup. And it was okay. based on um, being involved on the internet. Like, you know, that's a great fertile ground for interacting with people of all different beliefs. And I found my way into, uh, I think it was called the MSNBC Religion and Ethics Board. And I was all excited and, you know, but I, I just walked in completely unprepared and um, got hit with a couple of different arguments that really got me trying to think more critically. I, I really didn't have any background in, in critical sure. thinking or philosophy either. Sure. Sure. <clears throat> and so I went to a local um, Lifeway bookstore and um, met a, um, a fellow who's a dear friend of mine now and um has been for many years, and he was just learning about presuppositional apologetics. And so we, we would get together at his house or my house, and and sometimes with the third fella, and listen to Bonson um, uh, tapes at that point, 
literal cassette tapes, yes, that we had um, um, gotten from Covenant Media. And then we would sit around and and discuss them. Hmm. Um, And so the more... um, the more I learned about precept, the more I realized my theological commitments were were not what they should be as well. A lot of people um, come to precept as a result of you know a reformed view of scripture, whereas for me it was just the opposite. I got mm. into precept and and began to realize the power of it. And as I looked <clears throat> and listened to um, Dr. Bonson going to scripture and, and sharing you know his foundation f- um, sure. and Van Til's foundation it became apparent to me that I needed to adjust my theological commitments as well. So, mm. um, so it, at that point, um, you know, I found my way into, um, into Dr. White's, um, James White's chat channel and met up with a whole bunch of other people, Chris, uh, Bolt and, uh, other yeah. people who have contributed to choosing hats. And, uh, from that point on, it's, it's mostly been just, um, interacting with, uh, different groups online, you know, teaching classes at, at my church, um, those types of things. So sure. I've, I don't have a full-time ministry by any means doing precept, but I do take the opportunities <clears throat> as God gives them to me to share this particular method. So. Very good. Uh, I'm being told that you need, uh, perhaps you need to turn your volume up just a little bit. I mean, it's not like people can't hear you, but it might okay. be. Okay. So. Is this any better? Oh, why you got to yell, man? That's a little too much. I'm just kidding. You're good. That sounds much better. <laughs> okay. 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 Um, what I what interests me about what you said there is that you don't have any formal training in apologetics, which I think is um, for some people that might be a minus, um, and for other people that's actually a plus. And I do think there is a sense in which it's a minus and a plus. Um, it is a minus in the sense that perhaps uh, without uh, formal training, uh, you know, we may lack the ability to be uh, as precise as we need to be with our language and our argument form. Uh, but that's not necessarily true. I mean, you could be, uh, you don't need formal training to be good at that. But typically, that's the case. If you're not formally trained, uh, those things, we can run into those sorts of things. However, um, the fact that you're not formally trained, but you're able to uh, use this apologetic quite effectively, I think speaks a lot to um, really what First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 is, is getting at, where all of us, every Christian, uh, is called to give a reason for the hope that's in them. And so um, have, you, have you found that in your interactions with people that you kind of uh, are able to stand back and see the effectiveness of this method, even when you feel perhaps intellectually um and i'm not saying you're not a smart guy <laughs> but you know what i mean when yeah. we don't have that formal training there 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 can be kind of a timidity that goes into like approaching these debates and these arguments have you found the strength of the presuppositional approach and encouragement because you've been able to use it effectively even without that training i guess that's what i'm trying to ask yeah yeah good great question and the answer is yes definitely um you know I, I've heard uh, Dr. Bonson say it before that <clears throat> at the end of the day, everybody has to answer the same questions, right? Sure. Uh, everybody has a philosophy. They have to be able to uh, account for the the criticisms or the value judgments that they make. Um, and sometimes you're interacting with somebody who is speaking a different language entirely. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with saying, you know, I, I, I don't know the words. I don't understand the words you're using. Can you dumb them down for me? Sure. Um, the the method itself and this approach to apologetics is so very powerful for that reason that it really addresses the core underlying um, implicit or explicit um, beliefs that that somebody holds to, um, regardless of what their field of study is, what level of education they have, that mm. type of thing. So yeah, I've 
I've definitely come up against individuals with, with a lot more training. Um, and, and again, that was one of the ways that I, I was motivated to be able to go and defend my faith is because I was speaking to um, atheists, PhDs in philosophy um, on a daily basis, just getting hammered <laughs> to death. Yeah. So, um, Well, it's a good point. You said that we all have to answer the same questions. If you teach people, a believer, they're taught what questions to ask, they can be effective. Right. And knowing your worldview, knowing what all worldviews hold in common and the weaknesses of certain worldviews. I think it's important to, um, you know, what, what I like about the presuppositional approach is that it's a worldview approach. And in a sense, that makes our job a lot easier. Um, and I don't want to I don't want to substitute that for like hard study because we do want to know the ins and outs of someone's perspective. But it's actually quite encouraging to know that the presuppositional approach is effective, even if you don't know every detail of another person's uh, right. worldview. When you're doing apologetics um, and you're maybe you're talking to an atheist or, or whoever you're talking to, um, since you don't know every single detail of their perspective, what are some things you look for as a presuppositionalist? What is your presuppositional thinking? Mm -hmm. What are you looking for in what the unbeliever says to kind of give you a foundation to then, as we say in popular parlance, presupp them? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's there's a couple things for me at least that go on. One is I just I sit there and listen to them, and I will try. Um, Wait, you know, presuppositionalists the, listen to people. We, we do. Um, <laughs> it's not a well known fact, but yes. Um, um, and also asking questions, right? The Socratic method is a is a great a great way to get people to maybe stop and think about what you know, things they haven't thought about before. Sure. Um, but what I'm generally doing is I, I want to draw out of them what the issues they have with Christianity, right? Mm -hmm. What are your criticisms or what are you skeptical of? What are you unsure of? Or what do you claim that you're unsure of and that you don't know, right? Um, so for me, it's it's just letting them share things with me. And um, honestly, the more you do it, the more you realize that generally you're going to get the same kind of, of criticisms, right? Sure. You're going to get the problem of evil packaged in a lot of different ways. You're going to get, um, you know, science versus God. So talking about, you know, evolution, those types of things. Um, and then you, you will quite often get much more specific criticisms, you know, about mm -hmm. trying to, um, you know, figure out, you know, how many days was, was Jesus in the ground or how do you, how do you put together these two different passages in the gospels right. that, that don't seem to, to fit. Um, the other thing I'm doing is I'm, I'm looking for areas where they either explicitly bring up or it's kind of implied okay. something about Christianity that I don't believe. Um, sure. Because in my experience, one of the biggest challenges with, um, with, discussion or debating anybody else is making sure that you know what they believe and that they have a proper representation of what you believe. Right. And like you said, you know, um, Presup works at the, at the worldview level, which can make it really challenging for other people who don't have um, familiarity with it and are, are debating with you. Sure. They, they don't understand that you want to talk about everything, right? You can't do it all at once, but it's all relevant. So, you, you know, most, criticisms that I've heard of Christianity will, will pick a couple things here and there, sure. and then they will take their own, um, their own presuppositions, their own worldview and usher those p bits and pieces from Christianity along and come to yeah. no surprise, a conclusion that doesn't match 
you know, what, what is somewhere else in scripture, for instance. Sure. Absolutely. Now, now what I think is important to, to keep in mind, it made me think about it because you, you were, you said that you were looking for things that the unbeliever was going to say that you don't believe as a Christian. And I think um, that kind of just made it flash in my mind. The importance of knowing systematic theology is actually yeah. knowing doctrine so that you could identify uh, things that are aliens of Christianity, but the uh, your inter interlocutor thinks that it's an essential feature. And in many cases, his misconception is a stumbling block to right. him. Right. Um, so when people ask me, you know, what's the best book to, to learn presuppositional apologetics? Now, don't get me wrong. I'll point you to Bonson. I'll point you to Van Til. But um, sometimes the best books, in my opinion, maybe you could speak to this, the best books on apologetics are not apologetics books. They are books on basic Christian doctrine, Bible commentaries, the yes. Bible itself, <laughs> right? Yep. Um, do, you would agree with that? Oh, de oh, definitely. I mean, you know, to, to put it sort of, of, I don't know, maybe crass, you know, if, if you have a product you want to sell, you got to have product knowledge, right? And obviously sure. we're not selling it in the same sense, but I... Little known fact, I sold, I did sell cars. I actually sold used cars as well as new <laughs> They're ones. Like, You're nothing but a, a cheap I uh, was a used car salesman. No. <laughs> I did this for eight months. And the, the biggest challenge for me was learning, you know, because at that point I wasn't into cars at all. Right. And I, I really didn't have um, much understanding of the different types of vehicles. And so when they would come in to bring in a trade, I really wouldn't know, you know, I recognized what they were driving, but I didn't know enough about it to be able to help, you know, put a value on it. Sure. Um, so by analogy, same, same thing with, with Christianity or anything else you are trying to defend, right? That's the thing about um, an apologetic. We think of it in terms of defending um, Christianity, but the word just means, you know, a reasoned defense of, of sure. whatever it is, you happen to be defending and you have to know, you have to know what it is you're defending from a practical perspective. I mean, we're called as Christians to, um, to know God's word for other reasons as well, but mm. definitely um, as an apologist, yeah, you, you've got to know, you've got to know scripture. It's a never ending thing. <laughs> That's right. Now um, I wanted to get back to something you said, you said something uh, to the effect that you, you want to listen to what the unbeliever says. Now presuppositionalists have a, a bad reputation online. <laughs> <laughs> other various yeah. contexts. Um, presuppositionalists are perceived to be the sorts of people that listen only for the purpose of responding. Mm -hmm. When you say you're listening, why don't you unpack that for us? What do you mean listening? Are you just listening so that you could hop on something? Are you genuinely listening to what the person has to say? See, what is the heart behind that? So that people, because I here's what I hear. Maybe you've heard this. Presuppositionalism is a disingenuous apologetic method. You ever hear that? Yes. Um, how would you respond to that? Well, I, I think there are probably some examples of individuals who present um, one of two things. Either they, they don't, you know, it's a two-step approach, which we can, we can talk about. And they only do one step. And that step is primarily trying to tear down the other person. Um, and not necessarily in a bad way like, you know, trying to beat them into the ground, but just trying to, to pick apart, you know, their particular belief system. Um, and yeah, saying by what standard, um, you know, I've seen way too many memes and, and way, way too many gifts. And just, it, it's an important thing to say um, at the right time. It shouldn't be the goal of your apologetic encounter to be able to say, by what standard, ha ha, and that's it, right? No, that... 
you know, we're, we're, we're trying to help them um, understand we're, we're trying, you know, we're, we're not supposed to quarrel uh, with them. We're supposed to have, you know, a reasonable discussion with them. And as Christians, we're supposed to be loving. Um, but what I'm, what I'm looking for is things that they are saying that lead me to believe they don't understand what I believe, mm. what I actually believe, right? And that, that can come out a couple different ways. Either it's just buried down in there, like they're, they're making all these surface level claims, sure. but in order for those claims to be meaningful or for them to have warrant to hold the, the beliefs, there, there have to be other things underneath them um, or, or behind them or, or whatever terminology you wanna use. And, and so a lot of it is, is listening for them to say something that allows me to start to dig deeper. Mm. Um, and, and, and it may just be, well, by what standard? Like there's a friend of mine who I, I, I talk with. Um, he's not a Christian by any means, um, but he's, he's a great guy. And we have great discussions um, about scripture. And, and he knows what presuppositionalism is because I, I laid it out for him. And so, sure, I'll joke with him when he makes some sort of a value judgment and say, by what standard, right? But, but generally speaking, that's, that's not what I'm doing. I, I, might, sure. I might say something like, well, I agree with you that that particular thing is wrong. But can you tell me why you think why you think it's wrong? That's you know, just a wordy way of saying by what by standard. What standard? <laughs> and and I and I put it that way because it's going to depend on the person you're interacting with, right? Sure. I mean, sure. some people have um, some apologists have the ability to read the person they're talking to, sure. body language, and listen to what they're saying. Um, for others, that's a skill they are are working to develop right now. Yeah. Um, but in either case, the, the key is to listen to what they're saying, look at them and, and try and understand, you know, what is the, what is the pain point as it were? Sure. Um, I, I like the way what you just said there. And I think that's a lot of people don't talk about this enough in apologetic books and things like that, but knowing body language and, and tethering your responses, your questions, your statements to the body language of the individual, I think is a very important apologetic strategy, not just a communication yeah. strategy. Apologists are communicators. We're communicating the truth. And it's not always within the context of a formal debate or online atheism or, or whatever, you know, whatever the case may be. We're talking to regular people. Right. right. And um, I'm going to I'm going to speak to someone who's struggling with, you know, some kind of uh, traumatic experience. I'm going to speak with them in a different way than I'm going to speak with, you know, the you know, the annoying teenage kid who thinks he, you know, evolution is the fact and the Bible is stupid. You know, right. we need to learn to read people so that we respond appropriately. I think that's a very important aspect of apologetics instead of just living here, we need right. to be able to kind of identify, you know, what, what's this person all about? Where are they coming from? And I think you could, you can tell a lot through someone's body language. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying. Well, when I'm doing it right, I'm not trying to win an argument. I'm not sure. looking for, for an opportunity to slap them down and, and, and take away their ability to argue. And um, although that's part of what we try to do presuppositionally is take away any, you know, it's like the the analogy Bonson used, where you, you know, if you're in a room with a guy and he's got a gun with bullets in it, you can get you can learn to dodge bullets, or you can learn to take the gun away. 
and and I think that's what presup is about is is taking away ultimately their ability to make meaningful arguments. Yeah. But there's a lot of groundwork to be laid in and understanding that person and how much time you're going to have with them and certainly sure. not making them upset to the point where you can't continue the conversation another day, right? I mean, it's it is sharing the gospel ultimately, right? It, it it's just it's doing it from a, it's the other side of the coin. It's, um, it's doing it from a defense perspective or addressing criticism, but, but the goal is the same. It's to bring, it's to bring glory to God and to, and to do whatever we can by sharing God's word to see mm. their, them get saved. That's, yeah. that's the goal. I like what you use there. Dr. Bonson was really good at, you know, creating those mental pictures. You know, you can learn to dodge bullets, um, or you can learn to take the gun out of, out of the guy's hands. I like where he spoke about the difference between proof and persuasion. And he said that mm. when you shoot a bear and the bear keeps coming at you, uh, that doesn't mean your gun doesn't work. Some, some bears take more than one shot. Uh, so just because a person is not persuaded by your argument doesn't mean you did not give um, a valid and, and good argument. So um, those are, uh, th those are fun ways that, that help us remember some key aspects of uh, the apologetic interaction. So I appreciated that, um, real quick for people in the comments. Um, if you have any questions, please leave them there. I know Patrick Sue has left a bunch of questions. Dylan McPhee, um, ha has left a bunch of questions and I really appreciate that you, uh, prefaced your question with the word question. <laughs> That's definitely super helpful. And we already have some really good questions um, in the, in the chat here. So keep asking them away. Um, you can just totally, uh, bombard the comments with a bunch of questions and we'll get to as many as possible. Um, and, uh, yeah. So Chris bolts in the chat, he says, why do you say that Chris bolts? Let me see what it is. Let's get, let's get him up here. <laughs> why do you say that Chris bolt is the greatest living Christian apologist? Oh my goodness. So that's an example of a, of a particular fallacy, which is <laughs> why he asked it that way. The right. uh, complex question or the loaded question. Um, oh man. I, 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 we can break it down, but he's not the great. I didn't say he's the greatest. I say he's the most humble. <laughs> oh, you're not helping him. <laughs> <laughs> let's not uh, let's not encourage him. All right, right. so keep the questions coming. We'll we'll get to them eventually, but uh, definitely preface. Continue to preface with the word question. That's super super helpful. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about some standard objections. Um, well, let's not jump into objections just yet. Uh, that that we often can hear. I can I just add one one thing yeah. to what I was saying before? Sure, 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 absolutely. Um, you know, learning. Um, systematic theology, really important. Learning some critical thinking skills, really important. Also very important is um, rhetoric. And I, I hate to say it, but not necessarily to use it, but to be able to recognize it. When sure. somebody says, well, obviously everybody knows this, right? Or somebody um, makes a um, draws a conclusion that doesn't follow from the premises or whatever. Sure. It's it's good to be able to separate what tends to be the emotional language, which is the more rhetorical stuff mm. or the use of rhetoric, um, versus the actual um, removed from passion, removed from emotion um, argument. Um, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be passionate or emotional. That's that's very important, especially dealing with certain topics. Um, but it's always critical to be able to separate and sort of just toss away and 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 not be rattled by certain um, um, statements that you're, you know, that the person that you're talking with might throw at you. Um, right. And 
my my skin is much thicker now, way thicker now than it was <laughs> twenty some years ago. Um, well, that, I think that's a very important point. I, I'm a teacher, and so for many years I taught apologetics um, to um, high uh, middle school and high school students, and I usually start the class with coming from an atheistic perspective and asking them tough questions. Um, and then I later explain to them, um, and this is a good way to do with like small groups and people who are just getting started in apologetics. I like to help people feel or help them know what it feels like to be uncomfortable in hearing objections. Yep. Within a, I don't like to use this terminology because it's loaded, but within a safe space, <laughs> you know, we don't, we don't want to go there, but um, yeah. what, when we're training people who are just getting into apologetics, yeah, creating a safe space and helping them know what it feels like to be uncomfortable so that when they actually go out into the world, they're not frazzled by, right. you know, rhetoric. You're right. able to, you're able to get past um, a lot of the word salad that people are throwing out there that sound convincing, but really they're not really giving you an argument or anything like that. Yeah. I think that's um, a huge part in doing apologetics well is being able to not just get hot under the collar every time someone says something that is um, is filled with emotion and rhetoric. I think that's mm -hmm. a very important important thing to keep in mind. All right. Um, okay. So let's talk a little bit about um, apologetic methodology. So we have presuppositional apologetics, and then we have the evidential and classical apologetics. For people who perhaps don't know the difference, um, do you think you can summarize um, just real briefly? You don't have to go into you know yeah. um, into great detail. But what is the difference between well, a presuppositional approach, classical approach, and the evidential approach? So presupp is the biblical approach, and the other. Okay. Here, here. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna upset some people with that. But hey, we're having fun, right? Um, good. I, I mean, for me, going back to my experience, I had a really hard time adapting to thinking presuppositionally. Um, so the reason I say that is because I think the evidential or um, other other approaches that are akin to it are what seem to be, you know, approaches that make the most sense at first, um, because. We are, we are used to when somebody's asking us, you know, is there a box of crackers in the pantry? You know, there's a particular approach that we take to answer that question. Um, right. But from the perspective of Christianity, it, it is, again, it's, a, it's an entire worldview and you can't answer that question the same way. So the precept approach is one that's going to look more at, uh, you know, what makes something a fact or what makes something um, an evidence that can be used to draw a conclusion sure. versus just presenting the fact as if we don't need to worry about those things. Um, I think there's a very strong philosophical case for why we should argue presuppositionally and think that way. And I think there's a strong biblical case for it as well. So what you're saying is that facts don't speak for themselves. Yeah, there are no brute facts. That's right. Um, what did Van Til yeah, say? Very helpful. What did Van Til say about brute facts? I, I, are. I, I give up, Eli. What, what did he say? <laughs> Come on. I, lo I love it. It helped, me, it helped me a lot when I remember. Brute facts are mute facts. I have not heard that. You've never heard it, that Van Till, man. It's catchy. I like that. <laughs> well, Van Till was good at those catches. So brute facts are, are mute facts. Are facts, mute facts. Speak, right? You need a model of interpretation. You need a worldview context. I, when I right. teach it to my students, I always speak in terms of like words in a sentence. So the only way you know what a word means is its context. You know, the other, what are the other words around that word? You know, you need a context to make sense out of the particular thing. 
So their right. facts don't just speak to us, you know, they require an interpretive model. So, so yeah. So, and, and addressing those foundational issues really gets us to the issue of presuppositions, but you said, what are the foundations there? Um, right. But go ahead. Why don't you continue uh, with uh, the different methodologies there? So, I mean, a more specific example would be, you know, a, an evidential model is going to be somebody who, who says, you know, we can we have a good reason to believe that, that Christ rose from the dead. Here are the evidences, both sure. um, from the perspective of how the story or the narrative is told in Scripture, um, plus extra biblical evidence, those types of things. Um, a presuppositionalist is not going to concentrate so much. Uh, I mean, it's not that they shouldn't or aren't going to bring the same evidence, you know, up, but it's going to be, um, it's going to be presented always from the perspective that the foundations for thinking, um, the philosophical foundations that make those facts meaningful at all, mm. at the end of the day is the Christian worldview. Um, and so to not keep that in mind and not leverage that to me, um, doesn't, doesn't really make sense. Um, mm. because you're, you're giving, you're giving, um, the non-Christian, um, an excuse essentially. And, and, you know, God tells us they are without excuse. Every, everybody, you know, knows that God exists. And I know that's a point of uh, a topic for another uh, discussion perhaps, but, um, we, we have to, we have to understand as Christians, that the world is a certain way because God made it that way. So mm -hmm. we certainly don't want to go about um, presenting arguments that don't keep that in mind, that don't depend or rely on that because our ability to even discuss uh, apologetics depends on the world, the universe and us being the way that we are, you mm -hmm. know, being created in such a way that we can even have a meaningful discussion. So. Right. Now, what would you say is the key? Just so someone says, okay, so I kind of, I'm tracking with you, but like, what's the main difference? So you got presuppositionalism and say classicalism, for example. Okay. Uh, what is the nugget that differentiates them? I think one really important difference is direct versus indirect. Okay. In, in other words, we're, I think an evidential approach is going to be more um, direct, um, discursive, I think is the right word. Okay. Um, you know, saying, you know, here, here are the facts and the result of it is this conclusion that Jesus rose from the dead. Whereas from a presuppositional standpoint, we're going to look at things backwards, perhaps. That's not a good choice. Mm. Um, from the, you know, in, in an indirect manner, um, sure. when Bonson talks about um, specifically how do you run a transcendental argument, you know, the transcendental argument for God, he talks about starting with a given. In other words, find something that the person you're talking with doesn't doubt. Um, you don't want to give them the ability to come around later in the conversation and say, well, I guess I don't really believe that either. Find something that they're just really confident of. And then go to work explaining how that thing that's a given can only be a given for them or could only be a given um, if creation and nature were the way it is according to you know the Christian worldview. So it's not it's not lining up a bunch of evidences and then drawing a conclusion. <clears throat> it's it's more like um, reaching out and getting them to give you something to work with. 
And, and that's, that's one of the things I think that will frustrate a lot of people who are debating a presuppositionalist is yeah. a precept who's taking that a preceptor who's taking that approach is going to be asking for something. Um, and, and if the other person doesn't want to give you something, well, then you really don't have anywhere to go anyway. Right. If they want to, if they want to play the, the full on skeptical game. Okay. Um, you can't do that and have a, a, re, a rational discussion. Um, sure. Sure. Okay. All right. Very good. Um, let's talk a little bit about some objections. So I, we, we cover this and I, I like to cover it all the time because, you know, people bring it up as though we never thought about it. Um, so I usually make a big deal out of it because it's asked all the time. We've answered it in past episodes, but you know what? We're going to answer it here again. Okay. So one of the most common objections to um, presuppositionalism is that it's circular. Like you can't, mm -hmm. you can't assume the thing you're trying to prove. Like that's, that's begging the question, right? That's the problem with you presuppositionalists is that you just make assertions. You assume you can assume the conclusion from the beginning and that's just, you know, it's just your assertion. Any religion can do that. You know, you guys aren't even giving an argument, you know, um, why doesn't that, you know, you know, when someone says you're begging the question or you're engaging in circular reasoning, why doesn't that make you as a presuppositionalist say, oh, my goodness, I never considered that before. Right. Well, I mean, one of the, one of the things, at least for me, and I think for most people who um, believe that presup is the right approach, have had to deal with that and probably sure. fairly, fairly early into their um, education. Right. Sure. Um, so it, it doesn't concern me because I'm arguing at the worldview level. I'm arguing at the uh, a person's philosophy level. Um, and that you can't get away from, you can't step outside of any commitments and argue, you know, there's no neutrality, right? You, you can't step away from any of these preconditions to make your argument. At, at a minimum, you, you've got things like, you know, um, general reliability of your senses and your memory and, and belief that there are other people that exist and communication and logic, right? So there's all those things that are there um, holding up your ability to argue in the first place. Sure. Now, you know, what, what is holding your particular argument up? What, what is making... Um, what is giving you warrant for believing those things that you do about your memory and 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 um, your 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 rational thinking process, those types of things? Well, there there's more basic beliefs below that, and so if those most basic beliefs are what you're going to defend, it's not possible to defend those without holding to them and relying mm. upon them. Mm. So. For me, when somebody claims that that it's circular reasoning, I try to get them to see two things. Number one, they're in the same boat, which in and of itself is not sufficient, right? But it, it's good for them to understand that they have the same issue. And, and you can do that by asking them, you know, like if I were to say to you, why do you think your memory is reliable? Or, or why do you think your senses are reliable? Or um, why do you believe that the laws of logic have any applicability to the world around you? All those types of things. Um, I, I try to get them to see that if they were asked to defend that most basic set of beliefs, they would be in the same situation. Sure. Um, sure. And it, it, at that point, it's the the other part of it is to say it it's not it's not circular be because it's not this um you know the vicious circle that 
that people are most familiar with. Um, The other thing to keep in mind is that, and I I mentioned it earlier with the the crackers in the pantry, which comes from Bonson's debate, right? Um, What we're defending is an entire worldview. So Mm. you can't, you can't assume that you're going to be able to to um, answer a particular criticism necessarily just by giving one particular fact. Sure. Um, when that criticism relies upon your answer to that criticism relies upon Christianity actually being true. Mm. So now, you know, it, it usually comes back to the Bible. You you know you you say you believe something and somebody criticizes it and and you talk and then they say well, why do you believe that and you say well because the bible says so well why do you believe the bible is true well because god wrote it well why do you believe god wrote it right so at some point you're going to get back to your most basic belief and there's no way for you to defend that um, if it is actually a basic belief for you there's no way to defend that without bringing it in without assuming it what about so, what about people who I mean there are people out there that believe that um, uh, foundationalists right you know yeah. they, they are, are I mean I'm not I'm not a foundationalist uh, in that classical sense but uh, what are they arguing that they you know they're they're saying something to the effect that we could have foundations uh, would they hold to a foundation holding to a foundation in a non-circular fashion I mean they would say yes okay. So why yep. is that not the case? So let's let's address the foundation that says, wait, wait, wait a minute. You know, you're saying that at the foundation, we all have to hold to these foundations self-attestingly and circularly. Uh, but I'm a foundationalist, bro. I don't have to do that. And here's why. What are they saying and why can't they avoid the circle? It's it's interesting because I, I was scheduled to have a debate with a with a classical foundationalist. At least I believe he is. Sorry, David, if, if you're not. But that, that was that was what I got in, in my preparation, um, or as far as I got in my preparation. I, I was supposed um, to debate David as well. Yeah, um, and that yep. felt I'm just, just so busy, but um, I'm sure you understand. But go ahead. Yeah. I look, I look forward to actually at least having a, a discussion with him in the future. Sure. I think that's that's going to happen, um, but. Actually, he's he's got a really cool video on YouTube where he goes through and he lays out the different ways of dealing with, and I forget his terminology, but it's like the the uh, the infinite chain of justification or whatever it is, where a belief is justified by something more basic, which is justified by something more basic, so on and so forth. How do you stop? You know, some people will say, "Well, there is an infinite chain of justification, and we don't we don't have to worry about that." Or you know, some people will make it more based on the consensus of a group that you're in. And, and if everybody holds the same uh, basic beliefs, well, then you can go ahead and talk about knowing things. I believe a classical foundationalist is going to say there are, there are basic beliefs that do not need to be justified in the same way that beliefs that depend on them do. Now, okay. um, I'm not going to say more than that because I, I don't understand it sufficiently to be able sure. to Sure. Um, it, 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 something doesn't sound kosher if if you've represented it represented it uh, correctly. It just is just a bunch that seems wrong with that. But uh, we'll, we don't want to digress and, and critique it without proper. Uh, yeah, I mean to give David credit, I think um, I think he did a really good job explaining why those particular beliefs in question don't need to be justified in the same way. So okay. it's not it's not like they are axioms, and you're just saying, well, here's where we're going to start because it works or it gives us the ability to predict the future or whatever. He, you know, they they have an actual um, robustly um, 
thought about and defended perspective that, and, and that was one of the, the reasons I'm, I'm was excited to, um, to have a discussion when the opportunity came up and, and still hope to do so. But All obviously right. I'm going to have to learn more about classical foundationalism. Right. Well, good thing there's a lot of YouTube videos out there. And That's right. Definitely. But, um, all right. So I'm going to, I'm going to move into some of the questions. There's a lot of questions and I want to make sure I respect your time, but also get to all these questions since the title of this is everything presup. So there's a bunch of presuppositional sort of questions and, uh, I will be here as well. So if you, uh, are having difficulty with one, we could tag team, right? Yep. Tag team presup. All right. Um, so let's see here. If I take a drink of water, that's your key that you're cute. Yes. To, yes, to yes. Yes. Uh, let's see. Ba -ba 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 -ba. Questions. All right. So this is a common one. So Dylan McPhee asks our proof as presuppers is the impossibility of the contrary. Correct. Have you examined every possible worldview? So basically the question is, um, how can we say that our position as Christians is true by the impossibility of the contrary if we have not inductively examined all possible worldview perspectives? Okay. One thing I would say is that's not precept so much as it is the transcendental argument. So tag, which you know is a presuppositional based argument, um, at least from a Vantillian perspective and, mm -hmm. and a Bonson perspective is an argument that you're making from the impossibility of the contrary. Um, the answer is no, from the perspective of it's, it's not as if we've, we look at all the, the non-Christian worldviews and, and say, well, you know, we've knocked this one down. We've knocked that one down. We've knocked this one down. Um, obviously that doesn't work because we don't know what they all are. There might be a new one that comes along later. Um, but one, one of the more, um, one of the um, basic parts or initial things that, that needs to get laid out if you are going to use TAG is that there are at base only two worldviews. And the non-Christian one is false. And one of them, at least one of them has to be true or you couldn't be sitting here having a, a reasonable conversation. And right. so, you know, if the if the one that's contrary or more accurately the contradictory of Christianity is false, and one of those two must be true, well, then necessarily it must it must be Christianity mm -hmm. that's true. Mm -hmm. um, now, there's a lot behind that, and there's a lot of disagreement over that, right? So, um, and definitely beyond the scope of our discussion. But um, just to, to summarize, that particular IOC impossibility of the contrary is tied more specifically to TAG. It's mm -hmm. not something that is um, part of PRESUP in general. Okay, I got you. Um, and um, what might tickle someone's curiosity is the fact that you said there are only two worldviews. And uh, yes, we know there are multiple worldviews, but... Um, in essence, there is the Christian worldview and the non-Christian worldview and everything that's not Christianity is lumped into the category of not Christianity, right? The non-Christian worldview. And so we would argue, at least I would, that all of them have the same deficiency so that if you refute the deficiency in one of them, you've refuted the deficiency in all of them. Now, if you disagree that some other non-Christian worldview has the same deficiency as other ones, uh, you could discuss that, but I could assure you, I'm quite confident that they all share the same um, deficiency. And um, I think it's appropriate to break them up into two categories, Christian worldview, non-Christian worldview. Also, Dr. Bonson gave a good explanation. Um, we're, we're arguing that the Christian worldview provides the necessary preconditions 
for intelligible experience, knowledge, uh, and, and all those sorts of things. If Christianity is a necessary precondition for intelligibility, it does provide the necessary preconditions for intelligible experience, then therefore it must be the only worldview that provides it. You can't have multiple worldviews that provide equally um, the, the necessary preconditions for intelligibility. There's some issues there that's problematic as to why that, that can't be the case. So if the Christian worldview is one, then it must be the only one since the claim that it's the only one is actually part of the package deal that is Christianity. So if that is a, an appropriate way to address this question, then you can demonstrate the truth of the Christian worldview without having to inductively examine every single worldview perspective. All right. So I, I hope that makes sense a little bit for the person who asked the question. Brian, you could expand on that or disagree with me or whichever. <laughs> no, I do. I think you brought in an additional premise that that needed to be brought in. And that is uh, there there has to be one and there can only be one. Right. right. And and that's that second one that, that you brought in. So there are a lot of things that you and the person you're talking um, to at this more philosophical level, sure. um, which I rarely do when I'm actually having a, an apologetic discussion with somebody. Um, it's all of those things need to be laid out. I, I think a lot of times pre-suppers will, will run in too quickly and yeah. without laying the groundwork. So yes. that's one of the important things as far as listening is evaluating what the nature of the conversation is going to be in 10 or 15 minutes. Like, do you think that this person is going to go there, that they want to go there? Right. Right. And, and if I sense them going there, a lot of times I'll say, Hey, uh, before I, you know, answer your question, how I know the Bible's true or whatever it may be, there's some other things that I have to lay out first. And yes. I, I would love to do that. And we can, we can argue over them, but I'm not just going to come out and say, you know, Christianity is true from the impossibility of the contrary and expect anyone to buy into that. If right. they haven't bought into all of the other earlier hidden premises that haven't, you know, been brought up yet, they need to be brought up, they need to be agreed upon or else you can't build upon those. Right. And, and, and I think that's important. You pointed that out because everything we're saying here, there's more that can be said and there's more that should be said. Um, so, you know, take what I've said and what Brian, what Brian has said with a, with a grain of salt and look into the details as to how one might unpack that. Um, but I do think in this format, it's important to mention that those are some of the ways you could approach the question, um, because that gives you something to think about. How is it the case that if Christianity is, uh, is a worldview that provides the necessary preconditions that it has to be the only one? Why is that the case? Those are good things to think about and mull over in your mind. Okay. But there's definitely more to unpack. Um, so we don't just get away with that by simply stating it that way. I hope that makes sense. Uh, Dylan. All right. All right. Dylan has another one here. Uh, our proof as presuppers. Oh, nope. That's a double question. <laughs> Never mind. He really but, wants an answer. <laughs> yeah, he really wants an answer. There we go. Uh, do, 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 do. okay. Someone wants to, uh, wants you to respond to a quote. Okay. So here is, um, Patrick Sue. Thank you for your question slash statement slash quotation. I have never seen the slightest scientific proof of the religious ideas of heaven and hell, of future life for individuals or of a personal God, Thomas Edison. Uh, how would you respond to Thomas Edison, the inventor of the light bulb? Right. Well, first of all, it's not necessarily important to do this because it's a good question, sure. but I would, I would determine if Edison actually said that. Um, I'm not, I'm not 
saying he didn't. <laughs> I'm just saying as, as part of what I would do in responding to that, if I had the ability to do it, the first thing I would do is I, I just want to know if it was him that said it, right? Because there's just so much out there right now. Um, but let's assume it doesn't matter who said it. It's, it's a question, right? Uh, a person is saying they've never seen the, the slightest scientific proof of things like heaven and hell. Um, okay, well, I really want to say by what standard, but I won't, I won't say that. <laughs> Essentially, what, what you need to talk about is what, what do you consider to be scientific proof, okay? Yeah. And given the nature of heaven and hell, future life and God, the way they are described, would, it, would you expect to see scientific evidence or scientific proof for those things? It's the cracker in the pantry thing all over again. You know, you have to, and it's, it's not just a, a cheat to get out of having to use science to prove God. Right. Anything that you want to, any truth claim you want to prove to be true or any, anything you want to demonstrate the existence of, you have to take into account um, what is being said about it. How is it described? You know, it doesn't make, it doesn't make sense to say uh, on the one hand that, that God is a spirit um, and at the same time, God, the father, and at the same time say, um, so why can't I see him? Well, you know, you can't right. see things that don't aren't extended in space that don't have a, have an existence. That's just the way that we've been made. That doesn't mean that he doesn't exist and it doesn't mean you can't prove it. It's right. just, you're not going to prove it using the tools that you use to prove crackers in the pantry. So in essence, the way in which you prove something depends upon the nature of that, which you're seeking to prove. So, yeah. so I would prove that there are crackers in the pantry differently than if I were to prove to you that the air pressure in a room was some percentage. I mean, right. just, just, so, so, so look at the question here. So it says, I've never seen, which uh, within the scientifically minded person that typically involves some sort of empirical demonstration, uh, which again, as you pointed out, it needs to be um, put in context with the idea of heaven and hell or God or spiritual things. I mean, um, yeah, we're not going, if we're going to prove God at all, if we're able to prove him, we're not going to prove him in a way that's inconsistent with the sort right. of being that he is, which is basically, which is basically uh, all proof is not look and see there. Unless you think that look and see empirical methods are the only way to prove things. I mean, th th that's why I would say that, what do you mean by proof and what do you consider evidence? I think are valid questions. And as you said, they're not, you know, get out of jail free cards. Uh, literally when I ask those questions, what I find is that the standard of what is counted as evidence is completely wrongheaded. And it's important you bring that out because right. if you're going to prove something, I need to know what you mean by proof. If I'm going to give right. you evidence for something, I need to know what you mean by evidence. These aren't just kind of self-evident terms while everyone knows. Well, no, they don't. What you consider evidence and proof is going to be worldview dependent. And so we do need to get to those deeper issues. All right. Patrick Sue uh, gives us another quote. I think that's a good, a good way to do this. I think I like quotes because we live in kind of a soundbite generation. Mm -hmm here. And so Christians might encounter this. Um, here's another quote by Christopher Hitchens. Um, we're assuming it's Christopher Hitchens. Uh, Since it is obviously inconceivable that all religions can be right, the most reasonable conclusion is that they're all wrong. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Have fun with that one, Brian. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I've, I've read that before. I, I would want to ask him why, why, you know, he, 
he was a very bright guy, right? I, again, I, I don't believe he just, he said that without having some reason for saying it. And, and that's what I would want to know. I, at just reading it at a cursory level, um, know that that conclusion doesn't follow at all. That, you know, I, I would agree that they can't all be right because they contradict each other. Well, what does right. that mean? Well, that means I'm using um, logic and I'm, I'm using all these other things. And so one of the things that really annoys people is when you ask them where they're standing when, when they make their argument. But that, that's one question I would have asked Christopher is, you know, um, and, and it's kind of tied to the, by what standard it's like, you know, you're coming to me as a professing atheist saying that your worldview is X, Y, Z. Sure. Um, if that were the case, you know, that's where you're standing. That's the ground you're standing on philosophically when you're making your argument. So I would, I would want to press with him like anybody else, the, the foundations that he's arguing from, but just in general, there's not, that argument is not um, robust enough or, or um, doesn't have enough information in it to draw the conclusion that he's drawing. Sure. Um, there, there has to be more there. Just like earlier when we said proving God exists from the possibility of the contrary, we know what that means. We know all of the hidden, pre um, the hidden assumptions or, or premises that we haven't brought up yet. But yeah. the person who hears us just say that soundbite doesn't know what those things are. Right, right. So I don't, I don't find that that are that you know it's a non sequitur. It doesn't it doesn't follow. It's right. not the most reasonable conclusion. Right. And when you're speaking of reason, we're assuming logical categories. So if we're going to be reasonable, then we're also going to be logical. And if we're going to be logical, then his conclusion doesn't logically follow. Right. Uh, Plus the fact that you know he's he's putting religions against non religions when you know the, the term religion is a word that describes people who hold to fervent beliefs. There's quite often, you know, revelation involved, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, from a precept perspective, there's a worldview that sure. I'm defending here. And so you could recast this and say, since it's obviously inconceivable that all worldviews are, are true, the most reasonable is that they're all wrong. No, that doesn't follow at, at all. There's, there's good reason to believe there's at least one that's, that's correct. That's <laughs> so. right. All right. Here's a, another question. Patrick strikes again. Uh, he's got a bunch of them, uh, but it's all good. Can you describe real life encounters with unbelievers where you use the presuppositional method? How did it go? Let me start at the end of that question. How did it go? Because I think there's a um, there's an implication there or a question to be answered of what is a successful apologetic encounter. Mm, good point. Um, and and I think the um, I don't know. I'm not going to put words in Patrick's mouth, but um, to answer your question, yeah, I've had I've had um, these kind of discussions with people who are atheists, with people who hold to different religions, um, and in general, the ones that are the most successful, I would say, are the ones where I have the time to talk with them mm. and 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 really. Um, get them to question and understand why I'm arguing the way I'm arguing, why I'm not just bringing evidence up. Um, for instance, my, the one friend I mentioned earlier, I think he has a pretty good understanding of what presup is and why I argue the way I do now. And so I think it's successful to some degree in that he understands, um, I think even biblically, why I argue that way. And so I think that anytime that we talk about the truth of scripture and we 
properly represent God and who he is, then that's success. Because I think ultimately that's what we're after is to glorify God. Yes, of course, we want people to come to a saving knowledge of Christ. But the more or most important thing is God being glorified. Hmm. <clears throat> I, I guess I'll share my story as well, because a lot of I hear a lot of people say, well, presuppositional apologetics is just impractical. It never it never works. Right. Um, you know, um, but um, I actually I've had a lot of encounters with people. Um, and I, I agree with Brian that time is definitely and it is definitely an important issue to consider. Um, my conversations with people have definitely been more effective when I've had the time to unpack things and to have conversations, you know, within the context of relationship. There was a guy um, that I worked with for some years. I used to do child care. So we would um, basically watch uh, kids would uh, parents would drop off their kids two and a half hours before school started. So we'd be with them, help with them with homework, play games with them, and then send them off to class. And then from three to six, we'd watch them until their parents picked them up from work. So I, we used to have counselors, right? Uh, not counselors where we sit down with the kids and be like, tell me your life. You know, you know, yeah. like camp counselors. Sort camp of counselors, right. Right, right, right. And so um, I had this friend, his name was Will. And um, after we the kids uh, went off to school, we would grab, grab egg sandwiches, breakfast sandwiches, and we'd sit in my car and he was an atheist. And he would ask a bunch of different questions. And this was when I was listening to a lot of bonds. And so I was using a lot of the presuppositional sort of stuff. And we we had great conversations. And I made various points that were an application of the presuppositional approach where my friend was unable to give a reasoned response. And we had conversations throughout the course of, of the years. He invited me to his house. He, he had this documentary that he found online that he thought disproved Christianity and he invited all his atheist friends there and invited me over. And we watched this movie and I was able to respond all from a presuppositional approach. Right. Now, get out of the way. I no longer work there. He doesn't work there. I don't see him for like five years. Okay. Now, my mother was uh, diagnosed with cancer. Um, she still is. So she's um, undergoing some uh, chemo and things like that. Nothing too severe. So it's not, um, you know, no one has to private message me and be like, I'm so sorry. I mean, she's doing okay. You know, there's little issues here and there. But um, she was diagnosed with cancer and she was uh, in the hospital. And so I went to go visit her in the hospital. And as I parked my car and got out of my car, uh, someone grabbed me from behind, a bear hug. I, I literally thought I was going to get mugged. I was like, oh, snap, it's on, you know? <laughs> to know I am black belt in karate movies. So they're endangering themselves by attacking me. At any rate, um, the person grabbed me from behind. And, in, you know, instead of saying hi or hey, it's me, the person just grabbed me and said, Eli. And I was like, I recognize his voice. I'm like, that's Will. I'm like, Will. And he's like, he didn't say hi. He didn't say, how's it going? He didn't say why I'm here. He says the first thing I haven't spoken to him in five years. He says, thank you. And I was like, what are you talking about, dude? He's like, I just want to thank you. Those conversations we had all those years ago, um, they impacted me so much and I never forgot them. Mm -hmm. And he told me, he's like, I'm going to seminary. I'm going to be a youth pastor. Oh, wow. And, um, he, I live on Long Island. I lived on Long Island, New York. Now I live in North Carolina. Long Island's a little fishy-looking island, right off the in, next to New York, the, the state of New York. There, and there's a, a border island called Fire Island. And he was invited to give his first sermon at a church on Fire Island, and he paid for my family to take a ferry and go to Fire Island and listen to his first sermon. And he cool. um, shared how our conversations impacted him and led to um, played a very important role in his conversion. So all that to say. Uh, when people say presuppositional apologetics is not practical, it doesn't work. Uh, listen, whether you're using classical evidential presuppositional, there are going to be moments where we feel like, quote, it's not working. But um, 
in this case, this was an, an empirical evidence that um, it did affect him in such a way that God used it for his glory and brought this person to, to faith. So um, just a kind of a, a tangible example as to uh, the effectiveness of this approach, at least in my experience. Yeah, I think Bonten actually said that that's how he came to Christ was through a presuppositional presentation. Oh, yeah? Yep. Okay. Wow. I didn't know that. All right. Let's, let's continue. How, how are you doing? Are you, are you okay to take some more questions? Yeah. Yeah. I've probably got another 10 or 15 minutes. Okay. Me, so. um, if, if you feel like you need to bounce a little early, um, then that's fine. And I'll, I'll take the rest of the questions myself, but that's totally up to you. I, I want to respect your time. Thanks. Um, okay. So Dylan asked the question, how do you respond to someone saying that we are just making assertions and not actually providing proof, evidence, argumentation for our position? Is there a difference between proof and evidence? Okay. So two questions there. Um, yeah, there is a difference. I'll take the second one again. Yeah, there is a difference between proof and evidence. Um, evidence is what you offer up to support a claim that you're making. Mm. Um, the, the result of that hopefully is that you prove something. Now, the, the word proof can be used in, in less technical ways so that, so that it, it could be seen, you know, in the same sentence, it could be used either as proof or evidence. So I'm, uh, technically speaking, yeah, there is a difference between them. But at, at the end of the day, if you're, if you're trying to prove, offer up evidences for why um, Christianity is true, um, then the first question is relevant at that point, and, which is, how, what do we say to people who say we're just making assertions? Well, the question is, when you've done the presentation, is that all you've done? Have you just made assertions? And, and if that's the case, then they're right. Okay. Sure. Um, but Presup as a process, as an approach to apologetics, you know, you, you have to make claims first before you can defend them. And, and you, you have to make sure that you're not going to make a claim that you can't at some point come around to and, and defend. Um, or you're going to get this kind of, of response. And that is, I hear you making all of these assertions, but you're not showing me any, any evidence. Again, the question of, well, what, what do you mean by evidence? What do you mean by proof? Is your particular view of evidence here appropriate to the, to the kind of thing that I'm trying to prove to you based on the nature of that thing? Um, you know, kind of what we were talking about before. Yeah. And I also think that part of, so when we say, for example, let's use in the, in kind of the popular terminology. So the proof for the truth of the Christian worldview is that if it were not true, you couldn't prove anything at all. Let's take that kind of informal way of presenting it. Someone mm -hmm. said, well, that's just an assertion. Well, well, wait a second. There's an argument in there. And part of the demonstration is the invitation of the unbeliever to uh, provide a basis for knowledge. Because part of our argument is if you don't adopt the Christian worldview, you can't have a foundation for those things. So part of our demonstration is your inability not to provide those foundations as the unbeliever. That's part of it. So there is an argument there and we're presenting partial evidence. It's indirect, but I think it is in a sense an evidence of what we're getting at. But of course, as you said, we, there's a lot more to unpack. We don't just get away with, say, for example, you know, I do not prove the truth of the Christian worldview transcendentally merely by showing the unbeliever's inability to ground knowledge, logic, or whatever. It's not, right. it's not that, you know, to show that someone else's view is false doesn't automatically make my view true. There does need to be more unpacking there. And I think presuppositionalists need to do a better job in, in providing that, that part of the cake, so to speak. Right. 
Okay. Yep. All right. Uh, let's move quickly here. Okay. There's. Uh, okay. Here's another quote. Patrick um, gives us another quote. Um, I think I know where this quote came from. You don't need religion to have morals. If you can't determine right from wrong, then you lack empathy, not religion. Mm -hmm. Well, would, well that? I, in in one sense, of course, you don't need religion to have morals. But the, you know, if by morals you mean the, the the common understanding of this is my set of of things that I think ought to be a certain way, um, and if it's not that way, or if somebody does something that's not consistent with that ought, then they're being immoral. Um, yeah, the 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 argument. That, that we as Christians uh, should be making is not that you, you've got to have God to have morals. You, you need to be more specific with what you're saying, sure. right? Um, the fact that there are lots and lots of different um, standards of morality out there, subjective ones, culturally sure. based, doesn't mean there isn't a universal, um, absolute, type of, of moral code that, that a lawgiver has given. The existence of all the, the copycats or whatever does not mean there is not an original or right. there is not an actual absolute one. Um, so it's important to distinguish between when you say, I, you know, I have morality. Well, well, what are you talking about? Are you talking about you have your own personal moral code or you're abiding by the moral code of the society that you live mm -hmm. in? Well, yeah, you don't need religion to have that, but what you what you specifically need Christianity for is to have any reason to hold to that or to try and convince somebody else that they ought to be following it. In other words, it, the oughtness of morality is is the key to that discussion, hmm. not just the existence of multiple moral codes. All right. Very good. Um, here's another another one from Patrick. Uh, Science adjusts its views based on what's observed. Faith is a denial of observation so that belief can be preserved by Tim Minchin. Yeah. Bonson would use this um, phrase where he would say that's more autobiographical than anything else. In other words, it's an opinion. Um, I, I'm, I'm not disputing that science as um, as a methodology um, I'm not going to disagree. I mean, if it's properly practiced, then it does, you know, it, it refines, you know, your conclusion is refined by the more instances of, of supporting data that you have, the more experiments that you run that seem to uh, demonstrate that your theory, your theory is correct. You have more warrant from a scientific perspective to believe that. Um, it doesn't mean it's true. It just means that according to the scientific method, sure. there is good reason to believe it's true. Okay. Sure. Um, oh, your, your camera turned off. My camera died. Okay. Let's, <laughs> I may just, this may be the end. Um, I mean, I'll keep talking to you. Can you hear me okay yeah. still? Yeah, you're fine. But, but by the way, uh, it's not a big deal. When I had uh, Scott Oliphant on, the entire interview was just my face and this little circle. So you're good. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now, I'll flip it back on just in case and see if it comes back. But otherwise, I'll just okay. I'll no keep worries. talking. No worries. Yeah. If the audio is important, that's all. Yeah. Um, faith is the, is the denial of observation. No. I, I don't believe that's an appropriate way to cast that, especially when we're talking about faith in God. Um, I would argue at the end of the day, every person's um, belief system or, or worldview is um, accepted on faith. 
and 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 the same thing with Christians. You know, ultimately we are accepting um, the content of the Christian worldview on the authority of God, who who revealed it to us. Um, that doesn't mean that we can't then come back around and make this argument, the transcendental argument, for instance, that then demonstrates that those faith commitments we started with are in fact correct. Um, it just, you know, you you have to you have to clarify what you mean by faith. You have to clarify what you mean by um, belief. Those types of things. So, yeah. I understand. I think that's important you're pointing out the clarification of terms because I think a lot of Christians are quick to respond to these little snippets and we're responding to statements that are not that they don't have clearly defined terms. Right. And we want to be very careful of that. You you said that multiple times about well it depends what he means by that. And I think that's such an important qualifier. I think we need to learn to not be so quick to jump on these comments when the comments or quotes are not sufficiently defining their terms in the first place. Yeah, that's why these conversations take a long time <laughs> if, if they're done, right. you know, properly. Um, it, you know, presenting the gospel doesn't have to take a long time, but if you're going to get into the apologetic sure. aspect of it, then yeah, sure. it's going to take time. Absolutely. All right, thank you. Um, Nate Werner asked the question, what was the best way to get better at pre What was the best way? What is the best way? I think what is the best way and what was the best way? They're both the same. So yeah. Um, yep. Uh, so, so what was the best way to get better at using presub? Obviously, it's going to take practice, but can you role play with more experienced apologists? What, well, what I would say um, that's not necessarily always going to work because a person can be a very good apologist for their beliefs, but not yeah. necessarily be good at playing devil's advocate. Um, yes, that it. Um, I, I think it's. I think it's good to be able to do that. I think there's, um, it, it's a great exercise to try and defend somebody else's beliefs sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, certainly finding somebody who's, who's willing to role play with you and is actually good at it and doesn't just throw out silly, you know, responses or whatever. Um, that is one approach to it. For me, the way I learned the most was just hard knocks was, was, was going in and making bold claims and getting knocked down and going back and thinking about it and then coming back and um, just really sticking with it. Um, yeah. That that's great because, because uh, a lot of people skip over this. He, he says, what is the best way to get better at using precept? Obviously it's going to take practice, yes. but can you do this other thing? Well, wait a minute, let's go back. <laughs> that going to take practice is the biggest part. Um, how do you get better at using precept is using precept and falling flat on your face and getting up and using it again and yep. each time getting better at it. Yep. Yeah. Um, what, when I had my discussion uh, a while back with the atheist, Tom jump, I had some, uh, a friend of mine, Braxton Hunter, uh, over at Trinity radio, who is not a Calvinist and not a presuppositionalist. He's a classicalist. Um, but he's a good, he's a good apologist, very logical guy. And he helped role play with me. So role-playing is actually a, a helpful tool um, if you can get the right person uh, for it. So um, the good thing about um, role-playing with Braxton um, is that he wasn't a presuppositionalist. So he wasn't, um, he wasn't already open to my, the way that I argue. So I was able to get kind of, um, you know, good questions that someone who doesn't agree with me would ask. And so I think that helped me in the discussion. And I thought my opinion, I thought the discussion with Tom Jump went very well. I got a lot of positive feedback from it. And um, 
a majority of the way I prepared for that was just role playing. So that is definitely a good way to uh, to get a little bit of practice. Okay. Yep. All right. Yep. Good question here. Um, Dylan McPhee asks, does RC Sproul have a distinct classical apologetic since he believes in total depravity? He even said the point of apologetics is to shut the mouth of the obstreperous or the obstrepper <laughs> and Van Til agrees, right? Um, I think Dylan is asking if because RC and Van Til said the same thing and had the same goal, is there really a difference in their apologetic method? Yeah, I think that's, that's what, what he's asking. Yeah. Um, and the answer is yes. Um, a, a really good resource is the discussion between Bonson and Sproul about apologetic methodology. Sure. If you listen to that, you'll hear the issues that Sproul took <laughs> with, with Bonson on, on pre-sup and the impossibility of the contrary and those types of things. So yeah, I, I think I think we can share um, beliefs and end goals and even the intermediate goals of shutting the, the mouth sure. of that word I've never heard before, by the way. Obstreper? <laughs> I guess he's referring to someone who's obstreperous. <laughs> um, so even though our goal is the same, it doesn't mean the, the approach that we take hmm. um, is the same approach, even if there are things that we will do in common. Like we're both right. going to quote scripture, hopefully. Right. Um, right. They, and they did have different, I mean, as Calvinists, obviously they were in agreement, but I guess Bonson would probably argue that his classical approach is inconsistent with his Calvinistic convictions. Exactly. Now, whether That's that exactly what he argues. Right. Yep. And by the way, that discussion between Dr. Bonson and R.C. Sproul is available for free on Sermon Audio. So if you go on Sermon Audio, you download the app, there is the Bonson Project. You could type in Bonson Project and Covenant Media has sold uh, the rights to all of Dr. Bonson's lectures and they're all made available for free um, on Sermon Audio. So that debate is available and it is very, very good. You could see the differences uh, laid out there wonderfully. Um, all right. Uh, Team Taco Slick asks, what do you suggest as a curriculum to teach uh, high school or high school, uh, junior high or, or high school kids? Well, um, obviously the Bible taco. I mean, yeah, it's a good sorry, curriculum. Sorry, had to, um, that's a really good question. Um, I'm sure they're out there. I, I can't give you the names of any of them, though. Yeah. Neither, neither. I'm a teacher and I teach middle school, high school. Right. Um, and a lot of the curriculum comes from a classical and evidentialist approach. So because I have background in apologetic and theological studies, I kind of just wing it and teach it, teach the content, putting it within a presuppositional context. So right. I don't know of any particular curriculum, but um, as I said before, at the beginning uh, that I was going to have Dr. Michael Lacona on, there's nothing wrong with taking what evidentialists and classicalists have written and just cater it to your pre, a consistently presuppositional approach. There's unless you're going to write a curriculum yourself, you know, get a firm grasp on presuppositionalism and contextualize. I think that's a good way. Um, that's what I've done. What I've done when I taught um, middle school and high school students. All right. Okay. So let's see here. We're moving along quickly. There we go. The sire asks, uh, what do you think about non-Calvinists being presuppositionalists? Do you think that reform theology is necessary to the method? or as a commitment. Now, I don't know if you're aware, but there are some non-reformed presuppositionalists. One comes to mind, Jay Dyer, who is, um, I think he's Eastern Orthodox, um, and he is known for using presuppositional approach, transcendental argumentation. What are you, what's your view on that? Um, I think you can reason and argue presuppositionally um, regardless of 
whether you're a Calvinist or not. The question is, uh, are you going to be successful? We talked about that before um, in, in using that approach, um, you know, thinking presuppositionally, indirectly, trying to figure out what the presuppositions are that make this thing intelligible. That's, that's a way of reasoning and a way of thinking that works with, with anything, essentially. Um, but I think the consistent presuppositionalist um, from a Christian presuppositionalist perspective, um, I think Reformed theology, there's a reason it came out of that camp, right? So are you saying if you want to be an inconsistent presuppositionalist, sure, have at it. You don't have to be Reformed. <laughs> but if you want to be consistent, you need to be reformed. Is that what you're saying? Um, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. And that doesn't well, mean you won't be successful yeah. not being a reformed presupper. Right. But the question is, why would you not want to? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, Van Til most certainly thought you needed to be reformed because yeah. it, part of his project was to derive an apologetic methodology that flows out of a consistent reformed uh, perspective. So I would say, I would say yes. And I would agree with Brian that if you're, you're going to be a little inconsistent, you could still make headway. And as we always are apt to say, God can strike a blow with a broken stick, right? We're not always consistent, but God can still use, you know, uh, use our, um, our, can I say this? He can use broken people. <laughs> there we go. Um, okay, so did it. This is a good one. Um, when should a presuppositionalist shake the dust from their feet? You know, when when do we call it quits and be like, I've had enough of you? You know. <laughs> yeah, I think that's whenever you think it's time. I mean, seriously, it's sure. it's going to be different for every person and every conversation that you're having. Um, I think there are some. There are you know what would be to me a fairly good indicator is that you're hearing the same thing from them over and over, even though you've addressed it. Mm -hmm. um, and whether, you know, if they're, if they're being, um, if they're being dense on purpose, you know, if they're not being genuine in their discussion with you, then I would call that out. And if it doesn't change, then yeah, mm -hmm. I, I, it's like, why, <clears throat> why do I, you know, I'll pray for you. I can't, right. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. There's, um, you know, I can sit here and read scripture to you and would love to do that, um, but they're probably not going to stick around for that. So right. um, so it, it depends. I hate to say it that way, but it really depends. Yeah. And, and, yeah, it's and it's not like in five minutes, if he, if he, you know, at five minutes and 42 seconds, if he doesn't accept your argument, then shake the dust over. There's no really a one set answer for that. Right. Yeah. Okay, uh, Dylan McPhee says, in what way do preceptors utilize evidences? Are we assuming the non-believer can understand the reasons we are giving them, even though it's not in the context of climbing up to God? All right, let me think. Let me make sure I'm getting this. Um, yeah, I believe it's acceptable to assume that non-believers can understand our reasoning and our evidences, but that's because they live in the world that God has created, right? And so that's how we as a preceptor would use evidence. We're not just going to lay the evidence out there and not talk about the nature of evidence and why we can do the scientific method in the first place. Hmm. Um, again, it, it, it comes down to each individual person you're talking with and how much time you have and what they're willing to listen to. But that's going to be the main difference between a, a preceptor. In fact, I just picked up a copy or just found an older copy of a Van Til book about evidences, presuppositionalism and evidences. I don't, I don't remember the exact title, but um, you know, both Bonson and Van Til give great examples 
in, in their writing of, of how you go about doing that. All right. This was a fun one. Um, David Julius asks, when are you becoming a Catholic? <laughs> Who's that directed to? Is that directed yeah. to you, Eli? Well, I would assume that you're the guest. So <laughs> I mean, I'm never becoming a Catholic. I'm fully convinced that Catholicism is not, is not correct. So I'm a, I'm a bloodthirsty Protestant. So I don't know if the reason for that question is because they know that I'm currently um, meeting on a regular basis, talking with a Catholic friend of mine, sure. or maybe it's because they know a lot of people who are apologists who become Catholic. Um, mm. um, I, I'm in the same boat as you. I don't see foresee that happening ever. Yeah. Um, Dennis uh, McCullen. There we go. How much did Gene Cook's Narrow Mind podcast mm. influence you? Um, not saying that it's not a good podcast. It's just it didn't influence me because I just I didn't happen to listen to it Same. much. Maybe one, I did one happen to listen to him later on, like like last year, and it, yeah. it was really good. But I mean, when I got started, I didn't even know who who Gene Cook was. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, we're almost almost through. You're doing an excellent job, by the way. Um, here is a uh, question from our local atheist. Uh, agnostic, however, Doug would like to uh, refer to himself as. But uh, Doug, otherwise known as Pine Creek, asks about Thomas Edison. Do, do, do. Oh, no, is that? Wait a minute. Okay, I'm, I saw him before. I wonder if I got the right one here. So Brian Knapp says, I want to know if it was him who said it. Do you ask the question of Jesus and the things he said in the Gospel of, of John? Um, well, I think he's saying when I asked the same question um, that I asked about Edison, when I asked that same question about Jesus, did Jesus actually say that? Right. Um, no. Um, and, and that's because it's, it's in scripture and I believe God's word is infallible. And if it, if the Bible says that Jesus is talking, then I accept that on the authority of, of God's word. Um, also an important point is that when I said, I, I'd really be curious if Edison said that it wasn't, a red herring or it, you know, I, I wasn't trying to get out of answering the question. I'm pretty sure I went ahead and answered it after that. It was just speaking more to the, to the time that we live in where all sorts of different quotes show up on the web um, ascribed to people who never said those things. All right. So it, it was more of a curiosity for me. I, I just wonder if he actually said that. So. Right. Gotcha. All right. Thank you for that. Uh, let's see here. A couple of funny ones. I'll avoid posting those here. Okay. Here's a question. This is the last one, I think. Okay, good. I think that's the last one. I didn't skip anything. Uh, let me see here. That's a good question, Scott. I, I'm, I'm no longer involved with choosing hats. I think Chris might be still or have the ability to contribute, but um, there are there are other areas that I'm I'm involved in that I'm spending my time in. So I, I hate to say it, but I don't think I've looked at choosing hats for for quite a while. Yeah, so. Chris uh, Chris Bolt's series where he kind of summarizes all of the the main points of presuppositionalism, I think, are excellent. So um, even though they might not be posting new stuff, the old stuff that's on there is is really good. So you should definitely check out choosing hats. That was the last question. I do apologize. I think um, my comment stream kind of zoomed up and I might've skipped a bunch, but I don't want to waste a bunch of, uh, you know, airtime scrolling through again. So I do apologize if we didn't get to your question, but um, Brian, I think we did an excellent job. Um, and oh, oh, someone says I didn't know what I'm trying to look here. I'm so sorry if I missed a question. Oh my goodness. 
I'm so sorry if I missed it's it's definitely difficult to follow the uh um the comments here. Let's see here if I can just get the last one. I said no, I can't find this just too much. Uh okay. Well, here's a nice one you might you might like here. Um Oh, well, this is very nice. Thank you, Scott. Scott says, the pop precept community desperately needs leaders like Eli and the old Choosing Hats site. <laughs> I'm telling you, Choosing Hats really cool, man. I wish I wish there you guys were making stuff. But uh, uh, unfortunately, it is what it is, right? Right. Yep. <laughs> and uh, Team Taco Slick says, great guest, Eli. I agree, Brian. You did a good job. And Pine Creek, one last little jab. I always miss questions unintentionally. Yeah, it's it's true. I the, uh, I'm using StreamYard, and so sometimes uh, the new questions will come up, and when I'm scrolling down, it'll like jump all the way to the bottom, and so I don't want to waste time just going through. So I do apologize. You guys do know I spend a lot of time answering questions. I do try to get to all of them, um, so I do apologize if I missed it here. Let me see here. Okay, there's one last question here. Let's take this last one here because I think this person, uh, Slam RN. Uh, posted a question and I missed it. So I'll throw a bone here. Okay. So question for Brian, do you find that the hardest thing about using precept is getting the other person to accept your premises? Would you even call them premises when we give kind of a transcendental sort of argument? Yes. Um, that is the hardest part. I would change it a little bit by saying I, the hardest thing about using it is getting them to understand why I'm approaching this question the way I am. Mm -hmm. Um, and so whether it's, whether it's the way I'm presenting my premises or just the way I'm arguing in the first place is very different for people, um, I think generally. And so I spend a lot of time explaining why based on the nature of what it is you're asking me to do and, and the questions you want me to answer here's the way I'm going to approach it. And here's why I, I, I want to make sure that they understand why I'm approaching it the way I am, because if they don't ever buy into that, then it doesn't matter how good a job I do with my presentation. If they haven't bought into the approach I'm going to use, if they're not going to at least hear me out for the sake of argument, then yeah. And, and there have been people who don't, who don't want anything to do with that. Mm. particular approach. And so I've not been successful with them. Yeah. But, but you also mentioned before, you see the nature of the transcendental argumentation is that you can take something that you both agree upon. So you can take uh, for, you know, any <clears throat> X, right? Phil X can be any truth that, that is just a given for, you know, both of you. So you can take any item of human experience, right? And then just ask what are the necessary preconditions for those experiences, and then lay out the worldview perspectives. Right. right. So, you're basically, so that's what a transcendental argument basically, you know, says, you know, um, X is the case or I'm sorry, let me see. I'm going to put this out. Put well, not everybody's going to let you get away with that, I guess is what, well, what I would say say to that. Sure. Right. Sure. You can ask that question, but there will be those people who are like, look, I asked you a simple question. Why do you believe the Bible's true? Why are you asking me about what I believe? Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, but yeah. you're 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 right. That would be how I would proceed with a transcendental argument is give me that given and then. Um, in order for that given to be what it is, Christianity must um, be true. Yeah. You must presuppose it in order to consistently call that a given or right. call it whatever it is. And that's the, that's the key. Maybe another time we can talk more about the consistency part of it. Mm -hmm. um, 
Yeah. All right. Very good. Uh, this is, this is, a, I mean, got a, got a couple more here. These are fun ones. I, I'm, I know we're going to end, but uh, not that one. Let me see here. <laughs> How has Knapp studied precept for so long without losing any hair? That's true. I mean, look at James White. James White lost hair. I mean, I was just watching an old video. Poor of him. guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, but this is, this is a good one and maybe we can make this happen. I think it'd be fun. Eli, have you ever thought about having choosing hat, the choosing hats guys for a round table? I'd love to get you, Chris and some of the old gang together for a nice little uh, super yeah. duper piece up episode. Maybe we can we can uh, we can make that happen. I know uh, Chris loves to for it. Yeah, yeah, awesome. All right, well, cool. Well, we'll try to make that happen here. Uh, let's see here. Round table. Chris says that sounds circular. Ha ha ha. Very good. Saw what you did there. Bring on Michael Butler. I wish he's missing in action. We have no idea where he is. Okay. Interesting uh, note, when I, I did take some classes through Bonson Theological Seminary, BTS, and Michael was my, um, I don't know what they call him, mentor or, or whatever. You know, they, you're, you're listening to, to tapes and reading material, and then you go meet with your teacher, not teacher. Um, and, and, I, and I, you know, he was, I'm, I'm up in the Alexandria, Virginia area. He was in um, Lynchburg at the time, which is, you know, only four, four hours away. So I drove down and um, a friend of mine, actually the, the fellow who got me into precept and I drove down um, yeah. and we went over and, and met with him. I wonder why he doesn't do any apology. I mean, I, I mean, it's yeah, not, I favorite. haven't, I've lost track of him as well. Yeah. Well, everyone has, um, which I think is, is interesting, but at any rate, um, Brian, this was a great discussion. I really appreciated you. what you had to say. And, um, I'd love to get you, Chris and, and, everyone else who used to contribute to choosing hats and do kind of a, uh, I don't know how many people, how many people in all uh, contributed? Oh, the total, there were probably five or six, but there were maybe three constant, you know, mm -hmm. the, the, the three that probably actually only two <laughs> constant <laughs> ones, Chris <laughs> and um, um, Razor's Kiss is his okay. handle. Yeah, maybe we, we can get you guys on. We'll have a fun discussion. We'll pick like a specific topic to address yeah. that's related. And uh, I think that'd be a lot of fun. Um, but with, are there any last things you'd like to say? Um, I really do appreciate you coming on. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, just just thank you for the opportunity. Um, it was it was very laid back. This is, um, you know, I, I, I've been approached to do debates and and I really wanted to do the one with, with David. And, and I just found I didn't have the time to prepare. Yeah. Um, obviously, I don't know enough about classical foundationalism, for instance, um, to feel comfortable going into a, a debate on that. Um, sure. But yeah, I, I really enjoy this kind of um, interactive, relaxed, just discussion and totally up for it again. So nice. Awesome. I'd love to have you back on again. Yeah, it doesn't not doesn't have the stress of debates. I would like to do more debates myself. Um, it's just uh, again, I have three kids, got a job, got a family debates, yeah. take a lot of prep. And stuff like this, like all my shows, I don't prep at all for. I just, I have enough background where I can interview and ask questions and things like that. So I'm sticking with this format for now, but hopefully when my schedule opens up a bit, I'll start doing some more debates because I know a lot of people want to see the presuppositional apologetic methodology actually used so they can kind of see. For me, I learn through debates a lot more yeah. than discussions. I like to see how these ideas kind of interact, right? Like in the in the heat of the moment. So, um, so hopefully that will happen in the future. Uh, and if you do have your, your discussion with, uh, with David, I'd love to see that as well. I'm sure it'd be, um, a great joy to see you guys interact. So, cool. all right, well, that's it for today. Thank you so much, Brian, for coming on and we will definitely have him back on. Hopefully we can get the old gang together, uh, from choosing hats, but until then 
Uh, stay tuned for our upcoming video, our interview with Michael Preciado and Scarlett Clay. I think her name is <laughs> totally bad. I don't have anything in front of me, but um, those should be some interesting discussions coming up. And um, I appreciate everyone who is listening, who has uh, supported Revealed Apologetics with just being present and throwing questions in here and there. Greatly, greatly appreciate it, guys. Well, that's it for uh, this um, live. Uh, I can't even <laughs> close. This is the most awkward closing. Time for my Eli. Look at this. There's no, I have no more coffee. It's gone. Uh, I was going to drink water while you were saying something like there's no more water. So I'm a lost cause. Well, that's it. Um, if you like the content, please share, subscribe if you haven't. And um, thank you very much. Take care. God bless. Bye-bye. Thanks. <laughs> okay, we're done. <laughs> thank you very much for listening to Revealed Apologetics. If you have any questions that you would like me to answer um, on one of our podcast episodes, please feel free to send in your question uh, at revealedapologetics at gmail.com. Thank you.